Thank you for checking out our podcast here at Eastern Assembly of God Church in Baltimore, Maryland. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at www.easternassembly.org. So the message, by the way, go ahead and pull your notes out of the bulletin, if you will. Blessings to those of you who are watching online. And this message has been brewing in me for a little while, and today is the release day. And the title of today's message is, What Comes After the Test? Now, I've been saying, uh, I actually preached a couple messages not long after COVID hit, and we were actually closed, and it was going out over the air. I preached a couple messages talking about how I felt COVID was going to be a time of testing, both individually and as a church. Right? How many of you have faced some hard times individually because of COVID? Just talk to any pastor, and they will tell you that COVID has been a very up-and-down roller coaster for the church that they're pastoring. Amen? Now, I realize that COVID is still here, but yet I sense that spiritually we are beginning to move into a new season. So the question is, what comes after the test? In other words, um, is there a pattern that when God puts you through a test, something uh, happens afterwards that you can almost count on? Now, the answer to that is yes, and I want to take you to an Old Testament story to take a look at that pattern today. And so we're going to look back into the Old Testament, and if you, if you read the Old Testament, you will know um, that the Jews, towards the end of the Old Testament, began to fall away from God, and God allowed them to be captured by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was invaded, the temple was uh, um, destroyed, and most of the Jews who weren't killed in battle were taken to Babylon, and that happened in the year 597 B.C. Now, how many of you know nothing takes God by surprise? Four of you, one, two. You know nothing takes God by surprise. How many of you know God isn't surprised when you go to the doctor and get a certain diagnosis? How many of you know God knew that before it ever happened, right? Well, God knew that the Jews would be taken into captivity, and he actually had some of the prophets foretell some of these things. Matter of fact, Jeremiah foretold what was going to happen. He said, the whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon. How many years? Yeah, so God actually told them how long they were going to be in Babylon. Isaiah actually named the name of the king that would be the one to release them and allow them to return. It says this, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. So although they were taken into captivity, God's heart was that they would learn what they needed to learn and come out and return to his perfect will. The book of Hebrews is a great scripture that talks about uh, what God wants to accomplish when we go through testing. It says this, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Any of you just couldn't wait to get disciplined by your parents growing up? Come on, you, you might have got a lot of it, but most of it wasn't pleasurable. Later on, however, okay, this is the test. Later on, when you're moving out of that, it produces a harvest, say harvest, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained with it. In other words, for those who have gone through the test, are standing strong, still loving Jesus, say harvest. Yeah, there's something good on the other side. Amen? 
Uh, I heard a great message by Rich Wilkerson Jr. on a walk. I normally in the morning I wake up early, have devotions, and then I take our little dog for a couple mile walk. And I listened to this message that he preached at James River Church, and and he said that God is a slow, fast God. When he first said it, I'm kind of like, what do you mean by that? And then he explained it. It made sense. How many of you know there's sometimes when God's working in your life seems painfully slow? Somebody say COVID. Yeah, second year. I mean, this is slow. Okay, but God in a moment can turn the slow to fast. Where suddenly, like one thing after another, and you're like, whoa, I can't hardly keep up with God's doing. So this is important to know. God is a, say slow, fast God. If you're watching online, type slow, fast God. Okay, now, if you understand that about God, that presents a little bit of a problem for us. So if you're in slow mode and suddenly the opportunity comes and you're still in slow mode, somebody's got their phone on with the message, all right? Just turn that down. Would you do that? I don't need to hear myself preach it. I'll listen later, all right? Um, so if you're, if you're kind of in slow mode and suddenly the opportunity comes and you don't understand that now is the time to move, you'll stay in slow mode when God says it's time the answer has come. How many understand that? How many know we have to be careful, both individually as in a church, that we're, we don't, we're not licking our wounds through COVID and miss the opportunity that God may have in front of us? Come on, if, if, you, if you hear me, say amen. All right, there it is. So the danger of serving a slow, fast God is missing the opportunity at the end of the slow. So here the Jews were, their 70 years of bondage ends just as Jeremiah prophesied. King Cyrus gives the decree for them to return just as Isaiah said. Now it is estimated that there was 125,000 Jews in Babylon when the decree went that they could return to Jerusalem. Now understand, if you were Jewish in the Old Testament, your entire Jewish state existed around that tabernacle that was in Jerusalem. You understand? That was the centerpiece of their worship, all right? So, so Babylon didn't work if you were a Jew. Yeah, they were stuck there. But when the decree went and there were 125,000, how many should have returned? Say 125,000. Yeah. How many actually returned? Well, the number was more like 50,000. About 40%. Somebody's phone is still, if you're sitting around that person, would you just let them know that they need to turn their phone down? All right, there we go. Thank you. All right, so, so 40%. Interesting. I can kind of relate to that. Is, isn't, isn't that kind of what happened when the church closed for three months? The decree came, hey, church is open. Did all 100% return? No, and I know some were afraid. There was, there, there was different reasons. Some have gotten sidetracked along the way. Uh, but in that case, only 40. Now, here's a question. Why did 60% re re stay in Babylon? If we know all 125,000 should have left, why did 60% remain and only 40% leave? Well, two things to consider. First of all, I believe that there were those who were elderly in Babylon, and they said to themselves, I'm not going to survive a four-month journey, a 900-mile journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. I probably just need to retire and hang it up here in Babylon. I will excuse those. I will say, okay, I understand that. If you're 93, a 900-mile a journey by foot is probably not a good idea. 
right? And, you know, being carried for four months, probably not going to work. All right, so we'll let them off the hook. All right, but what about the rest of them that were able to take the journey but didn't? Why did they stay? Are you, are you ready? They stayed because they were comfortable in Babylon. They were comfortable in bondage. They weren't interested in paying the price of a four-month journey to be in the perfect will of God. They would rather just stay comfortable in Babylon than have to pay a price to follow the Lord. Man, it's quiet here all of a sudden. Huh? Are, are you listening this morning? All right? Can, can, can I tell you something you need to be aware of of being a Christian in America? Say, go ahead, Pastor. It's believing that serving Jesus is all about what Jesus can do to make you comfortable and happy. All right? That message doesn't, isn't preached in China where you might go to jail tomorrow for loving Jesus. That, that message isn't preached in a lot of places in the world. But what is it about America that says, hey, receive Jesus and you're gonna, you're, all is going to go well from this period on. He's going to make life good for you. All right, well, look, look, life's been good for me since I've accepted Jesus, but it hasn't always been about personal comfort. It's really been about his precious working inside of me and what I've watched him do. Come on, somebody. Are you listening this morning? Amen? Catch up on some answers here, all right? Why didn't more return? Some were too old for the journey, but many more were just comfortable in Babylon. And can I say it this way? When your service to Jesus becomes about what is the easiest and most comfortable, you're already backslidden. And if that's you, and you lived back in the day, you'd have stayed in Babylon. Now it's quiet in here. Amen? Can you sing, take this whole world, but give me Jesus, if you reduce serving Jesus to God just wants me to be happy? How many of you were here last week for our missionary, Joseph Gordon? How many of you were here? Okay. Okay, just, just, just make this comparison for a moment, all right? Here's Joseph Gordon willing to, to leave everything and go to Laos, a country that's closed, take his kids with him and just trust God. And then here's another Christian over here that says, well, you know, if I make it to church once a month, I'm good. Now listen, we all have different callings, but we're all supposed to have the same commitment. And that commitment is, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. That commitment is, God, I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll do what you want me to do. Come on, serving Jesus isn't like going to the grocery store and getting to pick which aisle you want to shop in. There is only one aisle, and that is, I'm all in, Jesus. Are you listening this morning? Come on, you got to see it. Amen? Look, look, in... in when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said these words. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires. It doesn't say they're interested in God's desire. They're not interested in following Jesus. They're not interested in, in here as it is in heaven. Come on. They, they want a gospel that makes them happy. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You know, you know what's sad about the day and age we live in? 
You can come to Eastern Assembly and say, man, I didn't like that preacher. He was too hard. And go find a church that doesn't preach that and say, well, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to somebody who, who is preaching what I want to hear. Come on, you better beware. They'll turn their ears away from the myths, away from the truth, and turn aside to myths. All right, how many of you can handle all the truth this morning? Raise your hand if you're watching at home. Now listen, I'm thankful for technology. If we wouldn't have had technology, we'd have been sending sermons through the mail to your home like happened uh, when the last plague hit. Did you know that's how people got their sermons uh, when, when the plague hit in the early 1900s? They, they hand-wrote sermons or whatever and sent them in the mail to their parishioners so they could at least get some spiritual food. All right, how many of you are grateful for being able to watch online for the three months we were closed? I'm grateful uh, if, if, you're, if you're at home today and you're coughing and you say, hey, I really shouldn't go to church. I don't know what's going on. I'm glad you're watching online and not exposing all of us to something else. You understand? Uh, I'm grateful for that. However, say however. If live stream becomes a method just to be convenient, oh, I can watch the service in my pajamas while drinking a coffee, and, and as soon as it's over, I can go my own way. Please be careful. Are you listening? If COVID was a test, then we need to make sure we pass the test. And the test was not to make Christianity more convenient through this all. It was to shake us up and remind us everything about this world is fleeting. Everything about this world will be left behind. My goodness, there were people younger than I who got COVID that are no more. And it's a reminder for all of us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. See, I don't believe in cheap grace. You know what cheap grace is? Say, what's cheap grace, Pastor? Tell you about real grace. Real grace is what you and I receive when you open the door and ask Jesus to come in. And you said, God, be merciful to me. Man, I'm lost. I need, I need a Savior. And Jesus said, I can do that. In a glorious moment, he washed all of my sins away. In a glorious moment, he transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I, I came into God's kingdom, and he declared me to be his own son, and he did the same for you. If that wasn't enough, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If that wasn't enough, he said, this good work I've started in you, I'll bring it to completion. If that wasn't enough, he said, part of the package is you get eternal life. And he paid the price for it all. Cheap grace is receiving the greatest gift you will ever receive and then taking lightly what you've received. Come on, somebody, listen. If I hand you a bag today and it's got $100,000 in it, you're not going to sit that on the counter and go say, I'm going to go drive my car up and then pick it up. This is Dundalk, friend. You better not do that. You're going to hold on to that bag. Come on, somebody. Cheap grace says, thank you, God, for the price you paid. And then you take lightly, thus cheap grace, what he's done for you. Is anybody listening this morning? Yeah, God help us. So Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. 
For wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate. You know why it's small? Because the only way in is Jesus. And narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Think about it. Here's 125,000 Jews in Babylon. The decree comes. You're free. Go. But man, that road was narrow that leads to Jerusalem. Understand? 900 miles, four-month journey. People said, man, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm comfortable here in Babylon. The problem with staying in Babylon, as we're going to see, is God didn't move in Babylon. God moved among those who made the journey to Jerusalem. Because Babylon was the land of bondage. Jerusalem was the promised land where God wanted his people to be so he could move upon them. Come on, somebody. If you've just gone through COVID and you're still in Babylon, wake up. God has more for you. Can somebody in the house say amen? God help us to see it. So, 50,000 make the journey. Four months. Hey, it's not a piece of cake to move 900 miles by donkey. Hello. But they get there, and it says this. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Jochadek, and Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, and his associates began to build the, what's the first thing they built? The altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples that surrounded them, they built the altar on its foundations and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifice. Come on, somebody. L listen. Notice, first of all, that they, they, they came as one man. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, they were there with a single purpose. Man, we're going we're to do this for God. We're going we're to put the Lord first. We're going we're gonna to do what he wants us to do. Can I just say this? The more we gather together with common purpose, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. Come on, who cares what color the carpet is if you come for him? Who cares if they don't sing your favorite song if you're here for him? Come on, who cares if the pastor forgot to say hi to me this morning walking into church? If you're here for him, come on. Come on, one of the, one of the things that brings unity of purpose is when we realize it's not about me and it's not about you, it's about him. Matter of fact, the reason you're here today, it's supposed to be, it's not what you can get out of it, it's supposed to be about him. And if you'll make it about him, you'll get something out of it. Are you listening? Amen. So God's working in you is to remind you and me through times of testing that you were created to live for Jesus and his kingdom. Matter of fact, let me say this. The metric that we're a healthy church is not how many rear ends are in a seat today and how big the offering is. It's really what you do when you leave this place, the metric of how healthy we are. Is Jesus glorified in your home? Are you living for Jesus at work? You, you, under, you understand? Come on. I, I mean, the Orioles can boast of a good attendance and a good offering. Doesn't make them very kingdom-minded. Matter of fact, listen. Listen, this, this would be helpful to us. If every one of you that's here today would be willing to give one Sunday a month for a ministry on a Sunday morning, that would help us. Whether you're, whether you're just waving a sign, welcome to Easter Assembly, being an usher, being a greeter, helping in kids' church, just 
Just come on, somebody. That's the least you can do. I mean, help us. Let us know. All you got to do is send me an email. Talk to one of our staff members. We'll, we'll get you involved. Okay, now also notice, listen. The first thing that they did was rebuilt the altar. Now, the Old Testament altar was a place where actual animals were sacrificed because, because Jesus hadn't come yet. There was the requirement of the shedding of blood and because an animal couldn't really cover, there were many animals that lost their lives leading up to the coming of Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, there's no need for any more animals to be sacrificed. So what does the New Testament altar look like? What's its purpose if no longer animals are being sacrificed? Here it is. In the Old Testament, there was dead sacrifices. In the New Testament, there's living sacrifices. You know, you know what a living sacrifice is? Say what, Pastor? It's when you come down here and you lift up your hands. And you say, Jesus, all that I am, all that I'll ever be, my present and my future are yours, Jesus. That's a, that's a living sacrifice. Come on, somebody. And listen, I value what happens around these altars. You say, Pastor, there's too many people around here. I make my altar my seat. Okay, okay. I value wherever you're choosing to make a living sacrifice to the Lord. When, when, when people ask me what kind of a church we are, first I always say we're a Christian church. We're, we're, we're a Jesus-loving church. But, but if I kind of define that a little, I say, well, what, what, we, what we probably value the most is the altar. We're an altar-driven church. I never want to be a church where you just walk in, sing a couple songs, get a little sermon, and then see you next week, and off we go without taking time to really let God put that message in your heart and let God search you out and let God work in you deeply. Listen, one of the reasons I am where I am today is because as a new Christian, I would be the last one to leave the altar because I just wanted to be with Jesus and let him work in my life. Come on, the same should be for you. Amen? They rebuilt the altar. When the apostles were told to no longer preach in Jesus, they got in trouble because people were being healed, and they said, look, you gotta stop this. All Jerusalem's gonna follow Jesus if you don't quit. Here's the prayer that they prayed. They didn't say, oh, Jesus, we're in trouble now. They said this, they said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your... In other words, they're saying, Lord, do more. God, let this world know Jesus is alive. Matter of fact, I, I, want, I want you to pray this. Come on, lift a hand with me right now. Just, just, we're gonna, just say, dear Jesus. Now pray with me. Just, just read along. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do it again, Amen. So the good news is they came together as one man and they built the altar. That was good. Then they all went home and they all got caught up building their houses until an old prophet by the name of Haggai, God raised up. He said, what are you doing? God didn't bring you from Babylon to Jerusalem just to build yourself a mansion. He brought you here to restore worship. Amen? And so they, they, they after they rebuilt, there it is, the prophet Haggai cried out for them to gather and to rebuild the temple. Listen to me. Listen, rebuilding the temple is no easy thing. But can I remind you today, when you're crazy in love with Jesus, a sacrifice doesn't seem like a sacrifice. How many of you, when you were crazy in love with your spouse, you did some crazy things? 
And your spouse looks at you once you go, when are you going to do that crazy thing again? Man, that was really cool what you did because you love me. Amen. Drove all the way to New York just to see this one sitting on the front row uh, just for a couple hours. You do crazy things. And listen, listen, I don't ever want what I do for Jesus to be like, look what I did, Lord. Look, I'm really making a sacrifice. I just want to be like, Lord, it's the least I can do. Because I'm in love with you and I appreciate the grace that you've given me. And no one has ever given me the gift that you've given me. It's the least you can do. Amen? When you're crazy in love with Jesus, write it down. No sacrifice seems too much. So Haggai says, get back to work. What did they do? Scripture tells us. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, the God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Thank God they came back together and they went to work. You think they accomplished something if there were tens of thousands of them putting their hands to build this temple? Yeah. So they get to work, God begins to move, and then they face outside opposition. Some of the non-Jewish people that live in the area said, what are you doing? You can't build that temple. What do you think you're doing? This place is demolished. And, and, and the pressure came on them to stop building. They kept building. You know what the greatest outside opposition to the church is right now? Say what, Pastor? It's political correctness. That, that, that's pushing in upon the church and says, you will conform or else. And, 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 and I can't see it getting any better anytime soon. Can I just remind you this morning? Listen to me. Listen, this, it's just so simple. Man doesn't get to make the rules. Man does not get to decide where the line of morality is. That is God's job. And if you believe it's man's job, then which man gets to decide that? You or me? You understand? It was never put. God has given us his holy word so that we will know what the truth is and we'll walk by it. And I'll propose this. The more we commit as a body to stay true to God's word. I'm not saying be mean, be nasty. We love everybody. When's to come where that line is? It's like, I don't get to decide that. God took care of that and I'm gonna agree with God, not with this world. The more we, the we, the more we hold to that, the more you'll find God working among us. And churches who abandon biblical correctness for political correctness, you'll walk in there and you'll say there's a lot of noise. But God's not at work. Because his spirit will lift off that place. Are you listening this morning? All right, so they faced opposition, all right? They faced outside opposition. When God begins to move, there will come pressure from the outside. We have to hold true. There were also issues within the camp. There was inside problems, and here was the inside problem. Some of the Jewish people began to marry the Moabites, the Ammonites, the non-Jewish people that lived around them, and that was forbidden because God didn't want Jews to marry idol worshipers lest they become idol worshipers. Solomon was a great example of that. The Bible says Solomon married many foreign wives. You know what the, married, the many foreign wives wanted? They said, Solomon, build his temple, build us monuments to our gods. And guess what Solomon did? He built monuments to their gods, and God was not pleased. Listen to me, listen to me. See, how does that pertain to us? Okay? When God begins to move, before he can clean up the lost world around us, He's got to do some in-house cleaning. Man, it got quiet. 
You understand? Before the world needs to repent, the church needs to repent. And what that means is allowing God to do some deep cleaning in you. Amen? Got to be an answer there somewhere, okay? The issues inside the Jewish camp had to do with immorality. If we want God to move, we have to respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen? All right, listen, listen to me. So, so, so here's what happens. Listen. I understand how a Christian can get caught in a trap because the devil's very good at what he does. Really, really. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't look down on you today, even, even if, if you are, are someone who's highly respected at Eastern, if you came to me and say, Pastor, I got a problem. I, I, I wouldn't look down on you. Okay, but, but listen. As long as you keep that problem in darkness, it doesn't go away. And the evidence is you're still caught in that trap after you've cried out to God many times. There comes a point where this scripture comes into play. Listen, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. What you're doing in that moment is you're taking your problem out of the darkness and confiding in someone that you trust, putting it in the light, and now God says, now it's time for you to be free. Are, are, are you listening? Let's, can I just make it real? Say, go ahead, Pastor. You haven't held back. Okay. The, the statistic of Christians caught in pornography is almost the same as the world. How can that be if we're God's holy people? I understand how you can get caught. It's everywhere. But there comes a point when God's moving where you got to say enough is enough. If I'm a holy vessel to God, then what my eyes see, what my ears perceive that I have a choice in, that has to be holy to God. Come on, somebody. I'm not saying that to your demise. I'm just telling you, I see on the other side of COVID a move of God, and it's gonna start when the saints begin to say enough is enough. I'm getting it right with God. Somebody say amen. All right, so listen. And, and there it is. It should have been before the community repents. We have to repent, all right? Somehow I missed a whole bunch of slides. It's all right. I missed a whole bunch. I hit the button and we went forward. There it is. Before the community is called to repentance, the church is called to repentance. Amen? So they persevered the outside persecution. Stick with me. We're almost done. They, they, they cleaned up the inside what was going on. And they came together and they built. And here's what it says. The temple was completed on the third day of the month Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Now, I'm, I'm going to move forward real fast now just to, just to keep you what happens. Nehemiah uh, brings another group from Babylon to Jerusalem. Remember the story? He was the cupbearer. He was grieved. He, and the king gives him permission. So, so he brings others with them. They begin to work on rebuilding the walls. As the walls are completed, they realize it's the Jewish Feast of Booths, and they begin to celebrate. And here's what it says happened. Day after day, from the first day to the last, that was day after day during the feast, Ezra read from the book of the law. One, one day they stood there from like six in the morning till noon just listening to the word being read and responding to it. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly, and they all gathered together. And you know what they said? Say what? So we're serving, we're serving the Lord, man. We're serious. 
God didn't bring us, God didn't deliver us from Babylon to here for us to live like we're back in Babylon. We're gonna serve Jesus. We're gonna put him first. We're gonna restore worship. And there was a move of God, really the last move of God recorded in the Old Testament before Jesus came. Because there were some people that understood, look, they understood there's a purpose to a test. Are you listening? There's a purpose to a test. That God would work things in me to get out of me so that on the other side, God could give me an opportunity to see and do things that I couldn't have done if I had not gone through the test. Are you listening? On the other side, there it is, listen. On the other side of the test is a move of God. I feel it. I see it. I want to be part of it. I want you to be part of it. I want you to believe me with it. Come on, somebody. And it all starts when you say, all right, Lord, we've been through some tough territory, but I've made it through. And I'm, I'm not gonna just stand here and lick my wounds. I'm gonna look up in belief. Amen? Listen, I, w- I want you to take out your communion cups, worship team, just, just come if you would. Now, listen, in, in the first service, I walked through 2 Corinthians 11. I, I, just want, I just want to talk to you from my heart and tell you what it says. All right, you can go home and read 2 Corinthians 11. But, but Paul admonishes the, the Corinthians concerning communion. And is there, everybody, everybody, anybody not have communion that wants it? Everybody get a cup on the way in? Okay, I think we're good. Listen, listen. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, don't take lightly when you as a church celebrate communion. Because the elements that you have in front of you, the bread and the wine, are representative of what Jesus did on the cross, and it cost him his life. He said, so when you take communion, you do well to examine yourself and take an opportunity to make sure that you're still as committed to Jesus as you've ever been, to make sure nothing stands in the way between you and him. So communion becomes a time to look into our heart and say, Lord, am I as committed to that cross as I've ever been? And have there any distractions entered my life since the last time I partook? Paul Paul goes so far as to say to the Corinthians, he said, look, some of you have been taking this way too lightly and he said, some of you in the church are sick and some of you have fallen asleep. He didn't mean in service. Be- because you haven't taken seriously what's supposed to happen when you partake of communion. So, so here's what we're gonna do this morning. Listen, just a moment. I'm gonna release you to take a few moments. Just, just get alone with God. Bow your head. Say things like this. And I hope you mean it with all your heart. And if you're at home, you have time to join us. Grab, grab a piece of bread. Grab some juice. Join us in this moment, please. Say things like this, God. I, I, all that I am, all that I'll ever be is yours, God. Lord, Lord, forgive me if I've gotten distracted. Listen, if you're, if you're at home listening to this message and you realize that COVID has been a distraction, that instead of taking you closer to Jesus, you've gotten sidetracked. Today would be a great day to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm not looking for an easy way. I'm looking for your way. Come on, something's going on in your life. Come on, talk to Jesus about it right now. And then as you feel like you're ready, I want you to peel back the top layer, which will give you the wafer. Partake and then drink of the juice which represents his precious blood. And then not be in a hurry. Come on, let's just let God, uh, on the other side of the test, 
is a move of God. Would you let God know you want to be part of it this morning? Let's, let's, let's reflect and then partake.